Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday the 14th of October 2022. After a long summer of short episodes, we return to normal service with a mixture of news, comment and interviews with industry experts. Later on, Cami will be talking to ITGP's author of the month for October, Sarah Cook, about her book, Effective Career Development, Advice for Establishing an Enjoyable Career. But first, here's the news. You'll undoubtedly remember that the government's Data Protection and Digital Reform Bill, an attempt to create a successor to the UK General Data Protection Regulation and Data Protection Act 2018, was announced by the then Prince of Wales in the Queen's speech at the beginning of the current Parliament, when Boris Johnson was the Prime Minister and Nadine Dorries was the Minister for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. How long ago it all seems. As I said in our 19th of August podcast, the bill was due its second reading in Parliament on the 5th of September. However, this was cancelled when Liz Truss took over as PM. Now, it appears the bill has been postponed indefinitely while the government makes further amendments or possibly withdraws it altogether in favour of an entirely new approach to data protection reform. In a speech at the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham earlier this month, Michelle Donnellan, the latest Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, reiterated the government's plans to change data protection law in the UK, describing the UK GDPR as a regulatory minefield that shackled businesses with unnecessary red tape and clunky bureaucracy. She then announced yet another new approach to data protection law that would protect consumer privacy and keep their data safe whilst retaining our data adequacy so businesses can trade freely and be simple and clearer for businesses to navigate. The Labour MP Chris Bryant, meanwhile, called the government's proposals madness, pointing out what data protection experts have long observed, that UK companies will still have to abide by the EU GDPR if they want any online business in the European Union, as other non-EU companies already do, so UK divergence will simply mean UK double costs. The extent to which the government's latest proposal will deviate from the previous one remains to be seen, but I'll watch its progress with interest and keep you informed as best I can. The Information Commissioner's Office has fined the catalogue retailer EasyLife £1.35 million for using 145,000 customers' personal data to target them with products based on assumptions about their medical condition in violation of the UK GDPR and DPA 2018. The company was also fined £130,000 for making predatory marketing calls in violation of the Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations. The ICO's investigation found that EasyLife conducted significant profiling of customers and invisible processing of health data. Of the 122 products in its health club catalogue, 80 were considered trigger products, which would be used as a basis for profiling customers. For instance, as the ICO explains, if a person bought a jar opener or a dinner tray, EasyLife would use that purchase data to assume that person has arthritis and then call the individual to market glucosamine joint patches. The Information Commissioner John Edwards commented, EasyLife was making assumptions about people's medical condition based on their purchase history without their knowledge and then peddled them a health product. That is not allowed. The invisible use of people's data meant that people couldn't understand how their data was being used and, ultimately, were not able to exercise their privacy and data protection rights. The lack of transparency, combined with the intrusive nature of the profiling, has resulted in a serious breach of people's information rights. EasyLife was not only found guilty of breaching data protection law, but our investigation also discovered that they'd made thousands of predatory marketing calls to people who clearly didn't want to receive them. It's clear from the complaints we received that people felt threatened and distressed by the company's aggressive tactics. This is unacceptable. Companies making similar nuisance calls and causing harm to people can expect a strong response from my office. 
Joe Sullivan, Uber's former chief security officer, has been convicted for his part in covering up a data breach that took place in October 2016, affecting 57 million people's personal data. The breach came to light a year later when Bloomberg revealed that Uber had paid its attackers $100,000 in Bitcoin, then worth about £78,000, to delete the data they'd stolen and keep quiet about what they'd done, in violation of its breach reporting obligations. After the jury unanimously found Sullivan guilty of obstructing justice and actively hiding a felony, his attorney David Angeli said, Mr Sullivan's sole focus in this incident and throughout his distinguished career has been ensuring the safety of people's personal data on the internet. Prosecutors, however, used Sullivan's conviction to warn other organizations that processed personal data not to neglect their responsibilities. U.S. Attorney Stephanie M. Hines said, We expect companies to protect that data and to alert customers and appropriate authorities when such data is stolen by hackers. Sullivan affirmatively worked to hide the data breach from the Federal Trade Commission and took steps to prevent the hackers from being caught. We will not tolerate concealment of important information from the public by corporate executives more interested in protecting their reputation and that of their employers than in protecting users. Where such conduct violates the federal law, it will be prosecuted. Sullivan's conviction sets an interesting and somewhat alarming precedent that security professionals would do well to keep in mind. Paying ransoms to cybercriminals is never a good idea, but attempting to cover up a data breach, especially one on this scale, is clearly not worth the risk, either professionally or personally. That was the news. Now, the world of work has changed dramatically in recent years, and so have people's expectations about both work and, crucially, maintaining a good work-life balance. Earlier, Cammy spoke to ITGP's author of the month for October, Sarah Cook, about her book, Effective Career Development, Advice for Establishing an Enjoyable Career. Welcome, Sarah Cook, to our IT Governance podcast. It is obviously great to have you on the show. Thank you. Looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so you're on the show because clearly you are a brilliant author because you have just been named IT Governance Publishing's Author of the Month for October. So obviously, serious congratulations. And today we're going to be talking about your book, Effective Career Development, which is available to pub uh, buy on the itgovernancepublishing.co.uk website. Um, so the book is essentially a book to help you understand what is important to you in your job and how to basically attain your career goals. And I suppose starting right from the beginning and diving straight into it, like how do you personally think that like career development and the world of work as such has changed over the years? I mean, kind of, you can look at that in kind of a couple of ways. Like firstly, how has it changed over the generations that have been, but also in the more dramatic sense, how has it changed since COVID, which was a huge leap. I mean, I think that's quite a big question to present you with for your yeah. first one. But <laughs> yeah. So so let, let me start by looking first of all at um pre-COVID and what, what was happening um in terms of changes across the generations. So um if we look back over the years, I think it's quite interesting to contrast um, for example, baby boomers, uh, people mm. born just after the war between 1946 and 1964, and um, those people who are, are now called Generation uh, Z, sometimes the millennials, another mm. name for them, people born between 1997 to 2010. So you, you, you're getting in organisations, both people, types of people um, in these age groups within the same organization 
And what you'll see is um, if you were a baby boomer, you grew up in a post-war um, climate where um, the economy was booming. Uh, there was regeneration and growth. And typically, as a baby boomer, you'd be very task focused and achievement orientated, um, worked hard, mm. often at the expense of your own um, private life. Mm. And typically, you would expect to advance up the career ladder. So um, when you started work as a baby boomer, typically you would stay within the, the same company and success would be career advancement up, up the ladder. Uh, whereas when you look at um, the millennials, uh, obviously there's been huge advancement in technology. Um, we've seen globalization, economic crises, and millennials are much more networked and, and tech aware. Mm. And um, they have different values in terms of what they're looking for from a job. They appreciate organizations which promote diversity, inclusion. Um, they want to work independently and clearly money and job security are important to them, but they will pr prioritize a healthy work life balance. Mm. So what we're seeing is that um, uh, this newer generation, the millennials, are much more likely to change jobs in the first um, decade of their working career. So they're three times more likely to do this than baby boomers did in their first decade of work. Mm. Um, and so moving career is, is much more um, usual for this uh, generation. Yeah. And I think what's also been happening is um, with the pandemic over the past two years, Clearly, businesses have had to quickly adapt and, and um, rearrange uh, working patterns. Um, uh, apparently, up to 85% of workforces um, have had to shift to working from home. Mm. And coming back into the workplace with hybrid working, again, we've seen a change in people's view of uh, careers and, and work generally. Yeah. So a couple of interesting bits of uh, research. Um, uh, by Gallup um, uh, the end of last year found that employees post-pandemic are now less engaged with their organisations than before. So people are really um, questioning um, what they're doing at work and there's been um, a trend to what's called the great um, resignation. So people voting with their feet, leaving for opportunities with companies whose values are more aligned to their own. Or if they've not actually left their organisation, there's a phenomenon called quiet quitting, which is where employees um, who were previously prepared to go the extra mile now are only doing the bare minimum to get through the day. Oh, so. Wow. Yeah, living for the weekend or watching the, the, the clock um, seems to be um, a trend um, that Gallup are reporting. And they say that um, globally, only 20 percent um, of oh, sorry, 21 percent of employees in the workforce are actively engaged um, and would say that their work is really meaningful. 
So what we seem to have seen with hybrid working is what I call the big questioning, um, questioning your own values, what's important to you, um, what's important to you when you work for an organisation, how much time we spend at our desks, um, how can we be happy at work, what do we want from our careers? Yeah, I mean... I can just picture that so perfectly in terms of like my, my my own father has worked for the same company for for a very long time and I can't remember I think it was like his his 20th year or something and you know instead of like a, a salary increase or a, whatever it was he got like a little perspex trophy yes just to say yeah, yeah. you know Absolutely. well done you've got yeah. you've got to this milestone and he was a bit like thanks but um one of my one of my friends kind of I was chatting to them and they kind of said actually how I now view interviewing for jobs is almost like kind of going on a date with someone nowadays it's very much a case of whilst you're interviewing me about what I'm capable of I'm also interviewing you about what you can give me so it's very much this give and take it's not this kind of mindset that happened you know a few generations ago where the employer had all the power it's very much a case of yeah. I, I know my worth I know my skills and I know that you want them so what are yeah. you going to do yeah, yeah really much so and I, and I think as as their skills shortages increase the power is going very much to um the employee rather the employer yeah um, and yeah. and values do matter so um yeah completely agree yeah and one of the things that you know you kind of touched on your book is like having an, an enjoyable career um yeah. like not just kind of working for the sake of putting you know food on the table and you know earning your keep but a case of like you know actually enjoying your career not seeing life outside of work as kind of separate to you know having fun outside of work and then enjoying work it's kind of the two yeah. have to combine yeah. so what what key components do you think make up an enjoyable career what are the key things that you need to do to make sure you're having fun just as much fun in the office virtually or not as yeah. opposed to outside the office yeah um I very much like the writings of um an author called Daniel Pink who's written a book called Drive okay. which talks about the key components of um, enjoyment and self-motivation at work so he says when you enjoy things you you obviously feel motivated and there are three elements um, to um, enjoyment the first is autonomy so mm. our desire to have control over what we do to be self-directed mm. um, the next one is mastery by that uh, we mean um being able to develop your skills to do even better, to be an expert in your field. Mm. And the one I think um, is becoming increasingly um, important with hybrid working is purpose. So the desire to do something that has meaning and is Mm. important to you. And and I find that these three elements, um, when they work well, tend to um dictate how much you enjoy your your job so autonomy mastery and purpose yeah and I suppose I mean when you're young and I mean I remember when I was a you know looking to go to university 
I very much was like, I've got no idea what I want to do. I've got no idea where I'm going to end up. And I kind of fell into the job that I have now, which when I was a, a little a little girl, be like, that's the last place I would ever have thought I'd ended up. But yeah. I, I do I, I do love my job. So that's great. Um, but kind of how like to our sort of younger listeners potentially, but like how do you kind of set yourself up for success right from the start? How do you try and tackle those three key components when actually you maybe don't even know what you want to do? But then also yeah later down the line when actually you're in a job that maybe you're kind of like mm, looking around now and I'm not really sure that this is where I want to be I potentially move somewhere else how do you kind of set yourself up for success yeah. right from the very start of yeah. your career yeah I think that is really important I mean I, in an ideal world it'd be helpful to start with a, like a career vision a, a mental picture of who you want to be what you what you want to do mm. what you stand for in the future in reality, as you say, when you're starting out and actually sometimes um, when you're midway through your career, it's difficult to know, um, uh, you know, to picture what uh, opportunities there are. So yeah. I think it's very important to be self-aware um, to know um, where you want to go. They say you need, first of all, to know where you come from. So um, one of the things you'll find in my book is a lot of self-awareness exercises such as drawing your lifeline and just picking up what you said there looking at your whole life um not just your your career um yeah. recording the sort of ups and downs twists and turns of the, your journey so far um and exercises such as what I call the wheel of life activity, which asks you to plot the elements of your life which are important to you. It could be things like family, friends, finances, health, as well yeah. as your career, and how satisfied you are with each of the spokes of that wheel. Yeah. Um, so if you start by recognising um, sort of where you are now, what your strengths are and what's important to you, um, it, that's really key too. So quite often people tend to downplay their strengths. And in the book, you'll find some activities which help you identify your personal strengths. Mm. But also we've talked already about values. So your personal values, what's important to you? For example, you don't want to end up in, say, a sales-led environment. If mm. what's one of your very personal values is being there for others and, and helping them, you know, you're going to have some internal conflict. If you um, if your personal values don't match with um, the work values in the environment you end up in. So understanding yourself um, is the key to being able to then um, create um your vision for the future and look at opportunities going forward mm. I think it yeah it's one of those things where I think your book could massively help and I think I don't know if it's just me maybe, maybe I've just gotten slightly older so that, that this could be the case <laughs> so that I've, I've now got hindsight and perspective on my side but I don't know if maybe this generation are better at listening to themselves as yeah. older generations where instead of as we've touched on before people kind of felt well this is the path I have to follow because this puts bread on the table and this is what I have to do to yeah. make money whereas now people seem to have more awareness of kind of who they are and what they want yeah, very, yeah. very much that. So, and it's not all about money. Yes, money yes. is important. Yeah. But, but you know, personal fulfilment and and um, that sense of purpose um, and development is is key too. Yeah. Yeah, and it actually, kind of leads me nicely onto my next question, which is um, in your book, you kind of touch on the fact that career development now is no longer about 
necessarily climbing that corporate ladder. So, and as you said, it's not necessarily about money. So what should successful career development look like these days is yeah. maybe climbing the corporate ladder a little bit of a dated phrase. Um, I don't think um, it's necessarily dated. And for some people, that's still important. But I think now the new normal is to have multiple career paths um, with the focus, as I've said, on personal fulfillment and advancement rather than just um, status. Mm. So um, uh, there was a report recently by the Chartered Institute of Personal Development that found that job satisfaction and work-life balance are now more important to people um, than thinking about um, a career, the career ladder um, in in terms of um, corporate um, uh, organisations. Um, but what we've seen is because of the ambiguity and I suppose some of the challenges in the workplace, including hybrid working, um, yeah. you know, there's loads of, of different ways of, um, of working, new types of jobs, interim, temporary, freelance, part-time, external contract working. Um, if you look at the gig economy, for example, there are lots of part-time freelance uh, work opportunities, which means that people have got more flexible ways of making a living or supplementing their income. Yeah. So it, it, it really seems today as though um, people have what's called project careers rather than corporate careers. So um, that, yeah. you know, we can move from one industry sector to another and do a variety of roles, a variety of time and, and, and place commitments. And, and that is becoming the new normal rather than necess necessarily uh, climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah. And I suppose in terms of like climbing the corporate ladder, like when you're starting out and when you're sort of well, wherever you end up. But do you kind of think that fulfillment and enjoyment in your career and success even does that change as you move through your career like in terms of what you prioritize in terms of like as you touched on like you know status and you know does that kind of evolve as you go through it do your yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and um, in my book I talk about different life stages um mm. so um what we know is different things are important to people at work at different ages um so if you look at the workforce today and the, and the span of generation somebody who's just starting out say age between 16 and 21 mm -hmm. is going to be more um interested for example on establishing their independence making their own choices as opposed to say somebody who's in their 50s who's perhaps more aware that time is finite finite and mm. they put more focus on the the here and now for it for example so I think one of the things to recognize is that we want different things from our careers uh, at different life stages um, and also uh, related to our, our our family and commitments and what what's happening outside work yeah yeah that sort of awareness that like, you know, when you're younger, you're very much starting out, you're trying to make a name for yourself, improve yourself. I mean, I remember how hard it was just, you know, getting a job when I came out of university and you just wanted to fight for it. Absolutely. Whereas when you've kind of been around the block, as it were, you now yeah. have that sort of reassurance of, no, I, I know my trade, I know what I'm doing. And yeah. actually, I can now focus slightly more outside of, you know, just just career. Yeah, um, so. And so is there, do you think, a difference between success and enjoy and enjoyment in a career? Because, I mean, as you kind of touched on, 
when you well not necessarily when you start out but in older generations success is maybe more towards status and monetary value of your job as opposed to enjoyment mm-hmm. nowadays it seems to be moving towards there could be a combination of the two um but do you think that they're, they're kind of intertwined or can you be successful and enjoy your career or is it one or t'other it's interesting topic because most um, researchers have actually assumed that success in the workplace uh, causes somebody to be happy and enjoy their job. Mm. But in fact, you could put forward an alternative um, hypothesis that um, enjoyment of your job, job actually causes success. So if you like what you do, you're more likely to be successful. Um, but Uh, I suppose when it comes right down to it, both enjoyment and success are interconnected in a sense. So enjoyment affects your level of success and your level of success affects your enjoyment. Mm. However, I would say there there is a big caveat here. What is success? It it says perception. And Mm. what people consider to be successful in a career may be different according to your own um, personal values. So, for example, if you take people who work um, uh, in the nursing function in the NHS, um, they are very dedicated um, people um, and uh, give a a lot of uh, personal commitment. Um, but maybe they don't want to um, progress up the 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 uh, corporate ladder, but they very much enjoy and master what they what they do. So I think um, success and enjoyment are all relative. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and I know we are slightly running out of time, but I'm going to be slightly cheeky. And so my, my sort of final question, I know it's a slight advancement on our, you know, for our listeners on your book. But what advice do you have for our listeners on how to set career development objectives and how to also identify identify areas for growth and advancement, um, obviously, particularly for the cybersecurity industry? So what kind of tidbits can you give us from your book? as a sneaky preview. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, we've already discussed um, actually reflecting on where you come from, what you've achieved, recognising your strengths and transferable skills. Um, mm. And that will help you look at development areas um, and what's important to you in, in terms of your values. And we just t- touched on the fact that obviously with with um, age and different life stages, um, that can also um, impact your career development choices. But I'd really recommend um, a a couple of things um, which I've found personally um, uh, very helpful in my own own career and I think would help in the cybersecurity industry. The first one is, you know, to take some time to build your own self-confidence, to positively present your strengths and the value you bring to the organisation. So having a a strong personal brand, it could be online in writing face to face, um, really, really key, particularly if you're you're looking at um, career opportunities um, within and uh, your own organisations and outside. And the other thing I've personally found um, very helpful, and I know in the cyber um, uh, security industry uh, this exists, it's to find somebody who's a mentor, um, Mm. who's got more experience than you, who can provide you with advice, support, share their knowledge and experience, and and really um, give you some excellent guidance for, for your own personal growth and development. 
So two key things, really. One, build your own personal brand. And secondly, I'd really recommend uh, finding a mentor. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's fantastic, Sarah. And to find out more, you should 100% buy Sarah's book. So that is available at itgovernancepublishing.co.uk. Sarah is our author of the month. Very well deserved, in my humble opinion. Um, Sarah, it has been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for talking to us today. My great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Cami. You can buy Effective Career Development by Sarah Cook from the IT Governance website or direct from its publishers, our sister company, IT Governance Publishing, for £15.95. That's it for this time. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, that's my account, or at ITGovernance. We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defence in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk. 